Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And we are track walking. This week, we're going to talk about stuff. Talk about stuff. The plan is to talk about, uh, to do a race recap of the race that the motorcycle races from two weeks ago. When did I do those? At least two weeks. Uh, At least NCM two. weekend, so two weeks ago, yeah. Two weeks ago, yeah. So I did motorcycle races, but there's so much to talk about in general. Um, so Scott's much. building. Scott's building a string alignment rig. Well, to, yeah, to do I'm, string alignments. I'm hammering metal. That's the stage I'm in right uh, now. It's it's like caveman fabrication. You're basically yeah, a fabricator <laughs> at this Stone Age level. Yes, I'm vice grips, five pound sledge. And that's my metal bender. <laughs> so, it's, it's, to be honest, it's going better than I anticipated. So, if it gets it good. where you need to be, then it's at the right place. So, good for me. So, um, have you have you done your own string alignments before? And this is just one of those I'm going to do it better things. Or uh, are you? Is, is this a whole new world? We need to sing a song thing. No, I've i've done them in the past i've just have never made a car specific setup before and the nice thing about the car specific setup is that it's very easy to kind of replicate once you have it right um but i've just never had it before so you just i'm do the like strings on jack stands thing alongside the yes. car okay yes um and not a that's if you've ever done it that way it doesn't work very well <laughs> I it works okay. Think you're a liar. I think it works at least as good unless you unless you're like super pro like Scott and probably has a race shop that does is capable of doing your alignments. I think with a little bit of time you can get as close as the normal alignment guys do. Um that I agree with. I was mentioning specifically the jack stand portion of it. Oh, it's <laughs> because fine. Because if you, you ever accidentally kick one you scream for a moment take a deep breath and then have to reset everything <laughs> well yeah i mean the whole process is semi-miserable especially the first couple times you do it because it takes you like hours to do it and inevitably you do it and then you you know everything's on the ground and you check it one last time and you're like wait that's not quite right and then so you have to redo stuff but my argument is that Every time you do it, you get faster and yes, agree. slightly better. And it, it doesn't, like within one season, If unless you're the kind of guy who just aligns his car at the beginning of the season, is like, ah, it's good, it's fine, I don't worry about it. Um, by the end, of the, the end of the first proper season of doing it, you are better and faster than taking it to an alignment shop. Well, this will be the second time I've done it this season, and... I haven't even done a race weekend yet. I was going to say, it's so. barely this season, so I'm very impressed at your thoroughness. Yeah, I mean, have we met? <laughs> yeah. So the the second thing that we need that I was going to was gonna talk about, uh, have yep. you heard from a friend of the show, Brian, in the last two days? Brian DeFries? No. Is, did he so die? He didn't die, but only because okay. I saved him. And and this is this is we love Brian because because <laughs> Brian is who he is. So I wake up Sunday morning, and uh, I rode it at uh, well I didn't ride my my daughter rode it a track at uh, Dallas uh, Cart Moto in Crescent on Saturday, mm -hmm. and we actually drove all the way home Saturday evening, 
Um, I didn't ride because my ribs still feels like somebody's stabbing me. Um, and uh, got home and I was like, cool, I'm going to have a Sunday like off. I'm going to watch MotoGP because MotoGP is on this weekend. I'm going to watch all three races. I'm just going to sit in front of the computer. I'm going to relax. And I wake up at like, because I'm old, I woke up at like 545. That's really uh, yeah, because I just wake up, um, and I flipped on my phone, and I have a, a text message from Brian. It's like, uh, so when you uh, when you get up, could you uh, could you give me a give me a text? Because do you still have a trailer? And I need to uh, talk to you. And I knew that <laughs> Brian was on his way back from Tennessee with a new car. And so when you get a text from somebody like that, oh boy. you're like, cool, this is going to be super fun. So um, Brian Brian was about an hour and a half from me uh, in a parking lot with a, with a really, really nice uh, 1993 MR2 where one of, one of the rods was making a noise. Oh. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Had he gotten an hour and like he, the good thing is he was he immediately recognized it when it started and you know how long it takes from the time it starts ta- tapping to the time it comes out the side of the block is monumentally short and yes. the good thing is he immediately was like that's bad and and pulled over and turned the car off so uh, kudos to Brian for that but I Brian has wish... had some experiences in that arena. I don't think he's lost a rod, has he? I mean, he did the he did the transmission thing where he was like, I can probably drive on it. Yes, I, I think he's dealt with enough old crappy cars at this point that he, he, I think he knows when something is dying. Yeah. So so I got to go rescue Brian. Unfortunately, instead of making it like an hour and a half past my house and dying, he was an hour and a half, not quite to my house. So it was like driving to him, finding the world's nicest UPS dude who we or not UPS U-Haul dude. Um, I'm still tired from yesterday. U-Haul, we, he was like, we need to, you know, we need to do this thing. And we were calling U-Haul. U-Haul will not answer the phone ever anywhere. And so we were just driving back toward Houston with the knowledge that we can definitely find a place that's, that's open in Houston. And we drove past one of those neighborhood U-Haul things. And it was like at a dude's house. I'm like, there, let's stop. And he had a phone number on the side of the building, you know, like, uh, whatever, like enterprise used car something thing. And so we called the number and he's like, we need a U-Haul. And he's like, uh, like, are you coming? We're like, uh, we're actually in your driveway. He's like, all right, let me put some clothes on. I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> I mean, and, don't want to trouble you. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. So Jeff invited us into his dining room, which was his also his office. And uh, got us a trailer rented and got us on our way. It was, it was utterly fantastic. It was the a, best U-Haul experience I've ever had. What a good um, guy, this Jeff. Yeah, Jeff was fantastic. I, I think the chances of Jeff listening to the podcast are astronomically slim, yep. basically zero. Yes. Um, but if anyone from corporate U-Haul listens to this, there's a dude named Jeff in East Texas who runs U-Haul out of his dining room. He's awesome. Yeah. So if you're in East Texas, uh, free advertisement. Yeah. Go look Jeff up. So it only took about 15 hours from the time I left my house to the time I got oh back. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> with all of the shenanigans, the the bright side being that, that Brian picked up a motorcycle for me last week that was at his house, and I didn't really have a good plan to go pick it up, but 
since I was there, uh, I picked it up and brought it home. So, All so right. bright side with that. So, um, if if I'm groggy, it's because I spent 15 hours in the car yesterday. Um, Are you drinking coffee right now? Well, a I always drink coffee. Um, but yes. Okay, I was about to say, don't dodge the question. So, topic three, I'm uh, contemplating currently, need to make a decision by tomorrow, on buying a full-size van. Oh, I like that. I found one. I was, you know, just eyes open sort of thing. And yeah, um, really kind of wanted to buy more in August, you know, when things were a little bit slower, a little bit quieter, you know. Right. And this, this one popped up. It's black, Chevy Express, 3500. It's got the tow right. package. Uh, it's got um, uh, long, long wheelbase then? So it's like the long Extended. One? Extended, okay. yep. Passenger. Because GM, when they put extra length in, they put extra length in the middle. Not like Dodge, who's just like, we're just going to put a tail off the Jeez, back. Seriously. <laughs> um, passenger. So it's got, you know, rear air conditioning and actually all the seats, I haven't actually seen this, all the seats in the back are captain's chairs. So it can't sit oh, wow. as many people, but like everybody gets their own captain's chair, which is kind of a moot point because most of those would be getting taken out anyway. Honestly, you don't have that many friends. No, I mean, really. absolutely not. Um, so, and it's in really pretty good shape and they're not asking like a buttload of money like everybody else is right now. I mean, it's still a little bit more than I'd want to pay, but in the market, like it's certainly towards the bottom of the range. And so I might be buying a van and flying out to Colorado and driving it back. I was going to ask where it was. That was the other thing. I was like, tell me you're not buying a Michigan van because you and I would have words about yes. salt and things yes. i mean i understand anything you bring home will will die a michigan death but well, at least it won't be mostly dead when you get there no and this thing won't be driven in the winter very much this is at least right now the plans is to have this kind of as the tow vehicle work pig like it's okay not going to be seeing many miles outside of race car duty so yeah, so it's in Colorado Springs, which is not close. Um, no, but isn't it close to Flying Miata? Or maybe I not. I guess I don't know. You need to find out because, like, you could visit Flying Miata while you pick up your van. Have you? Like, it's worth going out and seeing them because a Keith Tanner is the best. He's, yeah, he's an cool. incredibly nice dude. Um, and B, you get to go to their shop and see like stupid V8 Miatas and things. So you should you should look at a map. It's worth it. Yeah, I might do that. Tim and I were testing some uh, 3D designed um, brake inlet ducts for him last year. We were kind of theorizing and doing some back and forth with, you know, how far you neck it down and then open it back up to speed and slow the flow of air and blah, blah, blah. Um, Tim still wants one more design because he thinks that the inlet diameter needs to be smaller than the ultimate outlet diameter, which seems weird, but apparently yeah, he's the makes, aerodynamic. He's, yeah. he's the aerodynamics guy. We need to interview him at some point too, so that people understand what it's like when we talk about Tim. Yeah, um, it's important. Yeah, 
So anyway, but yeah, that'd be interesting. So essentially I've, you know, talked with her. She sent me like all the pictures of this van, um, negotiated. She held stuck to her guns for the most part, which I, I would do the same considering the van she's got. So I told her I'd sleep on it. So I'm about to sleep on it and I'll, uh, need to make a decision tomorrow. Good thing with the van is you also get to sleep in it. So that's, uh, that's a fact. That's a van thing. And that's, yeah, and that's the, the plan. You buy a van, you buy a van, you don't need a hotel room the whole way back because you just bought a van. And that's that's kind of the plan. And, you know, the ultimate reason why I'm, and I'm actually kind of, I know we've talked about this, I'm actually kind of deeply sad because, like, our identity are the stupid people who drive the race car to the track. Um, right. The reality is that that is very hard. <laughs> like, it's very hard. Um, yes. And you have to make concessions on the car itself because you need windows, uh, you know, that work. Yeah. You need two seats at all times. Uh, it needs to be reasonably comfortable for two people. Um, you need USB outlets for charging of all the things, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, fully working lights and blinkers and all that stuff i mean it's it's and it need it basically needs to be an endurance car that you sprint right. race with yeah. <laughs> so yeah i'm a little sad but the ultimate reason is that my son already has been bugging the ever-living crap out of me to come to the track and we just do not have the ability to do that right now and yeah. i would really like to getting him there so this that is why we are looking at the tow vehicle route for my son 100% worth it um yeah the, I think so. like it's it's not only is it a good excuse but it's like valid and perfect and and awesome so I yeah. I like that yeah I do too so what else uh do we want to go back to the topic of the race weekend do we want to actually do a race recap for my silliness or do we have another topic no, I, I feel like we should. I mean, that's <laughs> probably like that was the started plan. there. <laughs> um, yeah, and you kind of put that on hold because right after we got back, that was when the caliper tried to fall off the car and tried to take the wheel with it, and then yeah, a tow tr- the tow truck broke down with the car on it. That whole saga. If you haven't listened to that episode, we'd recommend going back a couple. Uh, teaching uh, and towing, I think we called it. Yeah, that was fun, and there was no way like Scott's brain was melting the entire yeah. time. So I was. Um, on I don't think I could have two hours of sleep, and then yeah, all that was day, fantastic. And then, <laughs> then talk to you. I was so tired. <laughs> so but yeah, racing that same um, weekend that I was in NCM, you were not in NCM. Right, because Texas Mini Grand Prix apparently hates grid life or something. Actually, Texas Mini Grand Prix probably doesn't know anything about grid life, nor does grid life know anything about Texas Mini Grand Prix. It just happens to be that the weekends are overlapping. The first several events overlap, yeah. um, which is, yeah, it's slightly annoying, but uh, the way it is. So we had our first race weekend, and that was in uh, at uh, Gulf Coast Cartway in Katy, Texas, which is um, 
I'm going to say my least favorite track of the tracks we run, but certainly if you're running at the time of year where it's not warm yet, um, the track is slippery and not fun if the surface temperature is low. So we were like not super enthusiastic about it. But I think the biggest change this year is that um, last year we ran, both of us ran endurance, but I didn't own either of the bikes that we were running endurance with. Um, okay. Um, the Grom that I run with was owned by my friend Mike. Um, I used to own the Grom because everybody's owned the Grom. And I purchased that, actually traded Mike back for that uh, primarily because I'm super anal retentive about things. And Mike was awesome and would just ride the bike for fun all the time. And then, you know, like three days before the event, we would have to get it prepped. And uh, it drove me insane which is not Mike's problem. That's my problem. Sure. And my solution to that was to trade him uh, a big, scary dirt bike for the ground. And so now he has an awesome big, scary dirt bike that he rides in the woods and I have the ground to prep at my leisure. And so I have that. And then also um, the, you might've heard on the podcast, uh, previous podcast uh, where we interviewed my daughter, she talked about their endurance bike and that's another bike that we bought for this year. So I have two bikes to prep for endurance. Um, she's also doing sprints on that bike, but then I have my Honda NSF 100 that I do for endurance. So in any given weekend, I've got at least three motorcycles that need to be prepped and ready and all of that. And do you, um, which is, do you tow all three with the same trailer? Like, do you put them all in the same trailer? Yeah. The, the trailer I have actually has three wheel chocks on it, and it's set okay. up to tow three if I need to. I can take uh, my truck and put very comfortably put two my motorcycles in the truck and then three in the trailer. And when we go to up to Dallas, up to Denton to race later in the year, we'll probably do that. When we do out of town races, we like to have more drivers than vehicles. Sure. So um, just in case somebody's not in the proper condition to drive back we can swap drivers around and make sure that, that everything's ready. So a lot of times we'll double up. Um, Derek will put his bike in the back of the truck and we'll do that sort of thing. Um, like because of drinking or? No, because of falling. <laughs> like there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that can happen where you're not like hurt, hurt. Right. But the idea of driving from Dallas to Houston in the condition you're in would suck. Yeah, that's um, And so... Uh, it's just something we like to try to do. I don't know that we'll always be able to do it, but we try to do it. So I've got three bikes at least that I need to prep. And this was the first race ever for the Superbike. Um, I did a bunch of stuff on the Grom this year that seemed to work. Revalved the forks and did a little bit of motor work and things like that. And so we raced. We went we raced. And we had four people on the Grom team, our normal team from um, last year, minus Mike, who was in Brazil doing things um hard to say what mike's job is definitely involves computers uh so none of us understand it um okay he does like navigation computers some things maybe but also might write code but it's i don't know he's way smarter than the rest of us he so sounds he was like a hacker it could be i don't really know but the picture from his hotel room he sent us on race day was stunning like out to the beach out to the ocean Phenomenal, and we were like, "Oh yeah, cool. We're racing motorcycles. You have fun, Mike." So we had that. We had we had Mike. We had Scott, the go kart friend. We had Derek, um, and maybe Kaylee, Scott? who is a, maybe Scott. Yep. Okay. Not you, obviously. Yep. We had we had maybe Clearly. Scott. Um, 
you don't want me on and we one had of your bikes. No, I don't think so. And we had Kaylee, who is 16 years old, faster than all of us, and um, would like to get paid to race motorcycles someday. Um, she races big bikes, both endurance and sprints, um, with CMRA. Okay. And um, she uses this. She actually likes us for some reason, whatever reason. She used to race a Grom, and, and we invited her to be on our team because she's better than us. She's sort of like the rabbit we can chase to figure out how bad we are. How much and, faster um, than Sonia is she? Sonia actually beat her for the very first time at the last ladies race of the last year. Um, some of that may have had to, to do with the fact that Sonia got in front of her and she just, like, Kaylee couldn't get by Sonia without smushing her. Like, she was probably faster than her, but would have had to put a move on her that would have been ugly. And, sounds, you know. Sounds like racing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It could be, except, you know, when we do, I could tell you that because this weekend I, I watched somebody have to retire a helmet just because we were practicing and oh. went down hard enough that he was in a minor memory loop when he oh, came boy. off. So it is racing, but we try not to do that if we can so, help it. So I guess that's a question, too. I mean, obviously, if you're in a car crash bad enough to retire a helmet the car's probably also been retired so you don't have to worry about it but in a bike if you retire a helmet that doesn't necessarily mean you have to stop riding because you can go one way and the bike can go another so do people bring spare helmets in general no um if you hit your <laughs> every time i've been around where somebody hit their head hard enough to retire like properly retire a helmet mm -hmm. they're pretty much done for the day yeah, as fair. a human being like that's they fair. they need to sit still for a while <laughs> yeah. um count, we count did, did all the whatnot yeah sonia did retire a helmet um from an accident she had endurance racing last year where we made the decision to retire a helmet later um, when, you know, after the racing was done, we looked at everything and we went, I think we're going to buy you a new helmet. Um, but certainly, uh, my friend Stan, who's the, the dad of one of the guy, one of the kids on Sonia's team, um, when he came off, like he hit, he landed on his face and blew the visor off the helmet and like, like noticeably like, okay, cool. That helmet's junk. Immediately. You knew that that helmet was gone. That's rough. Um, yeah, so so when when I joke about like enough of us race enough and pass enough that that you really you have to think about who you're passing and what you have to gain by putting a move on a particular person um and um try not to run into them. Running into someone on a motorbike is so bad. Yeah. But um so how the so races anyway, go? Uh, races. Um, we raced. So Kaylee wanted to. Kaylee's racing endurance racing big bikes this year, and when they do stints on big bikes, um, because their fuel tanks are gigantic, um, they try to do a stint that's most of a fuel tank, which is about an hour, um, okay. on the big track. How and many so laps she wanted is that? To ballpark. Uh, I don't even know. Um, uh, for for us, she did probably sixty laps. So they're, okay. they're slightly less than one minute laps um, and everything all in. She did probably 60 or 65 laps um, for the hour she rode with us. Um, okay. And so that's what she wanted to use it for was, you know, more track time. 
and experience trying to stay fit and focused for, for a full hour on the bike. Because spending a full hour maintaining focus is hard, like super hard. And um, yeah, the go-kart tracks, because the corners are closer together, um, you're, you're always shifting, always turning, very little mental rest. Um, so she thought that would be a good thing. So she went out, rode an hour, was awesome. Handed the bike over to Derek. Derek rode about 15 laps, uh, was stuck behind somebody, totally frustrated. Um, crashed the bikes, broke a foot peg mount, and we were done. The <laughs> literally the only spare we don't have, we didn't have for the Grom. Like we've got spare foot pegs, handlebars, all the levers, everything. Like spare axles. We've got a ridiculous amount of spares. The only thing we didn't have are the the mounts that the foot pegs themselves bolt to, because um, we hadn't broken them before and it hadn't sure. been an issue, and it broke right off. And uh, replaceable part costs thirty five bucks a side. And so now I have a giant stack of them, which will go with us to the races every time. So our race ended after 88 laps and uh, two people rode and the rest of us were just like, cool, we'll take our leathers off and be done now. Um, okay. uh, it's racing. That's the first race we have failed to finish as a team um, in the, the year and a half that we've been racing. So we actually felt pretty good about that. Um, this is like our, whatever, ninth race. And this is the first one we failed to finish. So we went, nah, it's endurance racing. We went Be on with it. Because of a little part that you didn't happen to have. Yeah. And, and it, it happens. Like everybody will do that eventually. Um, you know, even racing cars, you know, that's like eventually something small breaks and you're done for the weekend. Yep. And it's like, crap, you know, it's something like you you have a MAF that goes out and you're like, oh, I don't have a spare one of those. I guess we'll just put the car in the trailer. Right. Those sort of stupid things happen. So that was our race. So then I actually got to focus with focus on the kids running. Okay. Um, so the kids were racing. They actually did really, really well. Um, they had had one only one accident. And we could talk about how insane it is for a group of parents to sit around and watch your kids run and go, probably one of our kids is going to fall off a motorcycle today. And be like, yeah, that's fine. I uh, hope it's your kid, not my kid. Um, Seriously. And uh, one accident, and it was uh, Mikey Sanchez, um, because they haven't moved to Europe yet. Um, so since we bought all of Mikey's motorcycles and he didn't have any motorcycles left to race, because all of his motorcycles are now in my garage, um, we and the the kids invited him to be on the team and he he got into it with because mikey is like one of the fastest people there like like bar none one of the fastest people there and he had somebody he wanted to pass just on general principle and because he's been racing with him for a couple of years and he was on a bike that was faster and he was going to pass him and then he was going to come in and hand off the bike and he just got squeezed he he should have backed off um, and he didn't because he is a, like, like to the bitter end eraser, right? He's like, I have position. The other guy was like, nope, you don't. Squeezed him, went off the track, just bend the bike hard yeah. and, um, and got up and we straightened the bike out. Um, the triples were all twisted. And so we straightened everything out and, uh, 
sent the kids back out and they finished the race and um, they did well. Um, so we were proud of them and yeah, there's not much more to say about that. Um, then we did sprint racing and I think, have I gone over, so so Saturday is, is endurance and Sunday sprints. Okay. Have we gone over the fact that I that I actually legitimately raced people in sprints? Like I'd, for the, almost the first time ever? Well, not on this show, no. Not on the show, yeah. You and I have talked about it because I was so excited about it. <laughs> so I, I entered, sprints are, are six or eight lap races depending on how many people are in it. I think if you've got more than six people on, on a grid, it goes to an eight lap race. Otherwise, it's a six lap race. And the the classes I entered, several of them had, I think one had 12 people on grid, which for tiny motorcycles, like a 12-person grid is is big. Most of our grids are between five and seven. Um, oh, wow. We raced, okay. we raced 23 different classes on Sunday. Jeez. So 23 individual races. That's so many. Um, and, and, and how long and so or how many laps? Six to eight laps, depending on how many people are are in each thing. And the laps and are so it's a minute, minute and a half. A minute, okay. a minute to minute, minute minute to a minute ten, depending on who's doing them. But rough at that track, races. roughly a minute is. Yeah, so it's kind of like it, it is really the the same philosophy that the Grid Life Touring Cup has. That you know the first three laps and the last three laps are the best laps of the race. And the rest is just you know, fighting for position, you know, just like that filler that's in the middle. But what you really want to see is the first three laps and the last three laps. And so if you make a race that exists only as the first three laps and the last three laps, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then you have a million different classes that most people fit into a bunch of them. I raced five different classes. Sonia raced seven. Um, one of the guys I was racing against raced 13. Jeez. Um, so... You just, you can race and race and race and race. It's basically, you know, you build a bike that lets you put it, that, that lets you slot into a bunch of different classes. And then you race a ton of different classes and you race against people. And it's, it's just a phenomenal way to spend the day. And you get so much experience in a single day of racing. I guess, I guess I don't understand how one bike can fit into so many classes. Is it also divided by age and like what how can one bike fit into five or seven classes so there's a couple things going one one is a division of bikes and the second is a division of riders so like there's a ladies class which is anybody who is female and has a legal motorcycle can can enter the ladies class um there's also what they call the dinosaur class the dinosaur class is anyone who has a legal motorcycle that is over 40 or over 200 pounds with gear on boy, is in the dinosaur class boy that's rough <laughs> that's, and then that's, that's the, a rough double, cutoff the, point there <laughs> the double dinosaur class is if you're over 40 and over 200 pounds you get to race in the double dinosaur class that's just rude um yeah <laughs> it's, it's yeah rude. except it's fantastic it's fantastic. Like this is the old dudes racing. The old dudes are the scary. Like I, ra obviously, I'm over forty, so I race in the dinosaur class. And yeah, but and you would you would have to strap another Seth on your back to be over two hundred pounds. Yeah, but uh, you know the argument is cool. You weigh more than me. You just have to be better, which is you know how it is anyway when you're racing against ten year olds, right? Like that's the whole next step. If you've got a ten year old that weighs seventy pounds versus me, that's 
the difference between me and somebody who weighs 200 pounds again. It's like, all right, that's just the way it is. Just be better. Um, and some of the dudes who I'm racing hard against definitely weigh 200 pounds. Um, but that doesn't make it not fun. It's like you dicing with a Corvette, right? Like fun is fun. So, um, and then the other thing is you can always race up a class when you're talking about bikes. Like we have our, our distinctions our general distinctions for bikes are F7, F6, and F5. F7 being the slowest, which are the smallest CC bikes and then six and then five being the fastest um, bikes. And so if you have an F7 bike, you can race the F7 classes that you're legal for, which is like F7 lightweight, F7 heavyweight, F7 novice, F7 GP. So there's a variety of F7 things. And then you can also race up into F6 because you don't surpass the CC limits for the next class up because you're smaller. So now like I race F7 GP and F6 GP and F7 novice and F6 novice. And it sounds like you're like, cool, you'd race a, a, a race up and you'd get killed. But the truth is, basically everybody who's racing F7 GP is also racing F6 GP. So you get to have two races with the same people. Instead of maybe battling for for third, if you're doing well, you're now battling for fifth. But eh, whatever, you know, it's, sure. you know, best case scenario, you get a plastic trophy. So I don't really care if I'm battling for third or fifth. I just want to race people. Sure. Um. And yeah, it would be like if, if, if grid life, like every 15 minutes, you guys had another race all day and there were no, Couldn't do uh, it. there was no, no DE sessions, no, um, no drifting, no anything in between. Like every 15 minutes you did that and you're like, okay, cool. You can line up on the Miata class or the uh, rear wheel drive class, or, you know, you can imagine whatever the classes would be. Uh, it'd be a, on, it'd be a know, very on, different car if we had to do that. <laughs> yeah, you would, you know, one of the one of the reasons you build stuff for is you build to fit into as many classes as you can because you want to race all the classes, right? Because would you, like you guys race three races in a day? Like a busy day has three races in it, right? Um. Yeah, really busy day has three races. Usually, like the longest days, we've got practice qualifying in two races. Okay, so you've got like four sessions that matter. Yes. And and so if you could have six of those sessions, but every single one of them was a race, there's no warm-ups or like one warm-up in the, in, and then you just race and you race and you race and you race and you race. Would that be fun? It would be exhausting, but would it be fun? I think so. I'd like to yeah. think so. It would be exhausting. That's the first <laughs> thing that... So I remember the first weekend uh, the Touring Cup ex- did anything ever was at Mid-Ohio, very cold in the middle of April. And we did... I want to say we did four... Three races... I think we did like three races and a practice in one day or four, something like that. And it was just, <laughs> just going to the car for that, <laughs> for that last race. I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> this is, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm going back out, but I'm tired. Yeah. And, and realistically, there's a bunch of people, there's, there's definitely people that will sign up for races. You know, I signed up for nine and you get through seven of them and you're like, cool, I'm done. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> there's no way I can show up for my last two races. Yes. So and for a flight, the other on that thing one. that, yeah, the other thing that that makes all of this possible is the the fee structure for racing. So when we race endurance, it's like 160 bucks for the team. Um, so 160 bucks, four hour endurance race, um, done and dusted. Actually, no, it's 140 right now plus ten dollar uh, at that track. It's 140 plus a plus a ten dollar transponder rental. So uh, 150 bucks gets uh, you know two to five of you racing for a four hour endurance race, which kind of sounds like a bargain. Yes. What's even more of a bargain is the sprint races. So you, you, you look at this form and it's got all of the possible classes on there and you check all the ones you're doing and you put your race number down. The first race you sign up for is $25. Okay. Second race is 20. Okay. Third is 15. I see where this is going. Fourth is 10. Every race after your fourth race, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 10, 11, 12, as far as it goes, it's five bucks a race. Yeah, that's hard to argue with. So when I race, if I do the math, I think when I race five races, I, I pay 75 bucks. That's stupid. <laughs> it's just so cheap. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, and when Sonya wants to race extra races, she's like, I'm going to race seven this time. I'm like, cool, that's an extra 10 bucks. Right on, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can afford that. Yeah, I think we could do that. We won't stop at McDonald's on the way home. Race as many races as you want. I was literally thinking, like, it's hard to buy fast food for under 10 bucks anymore. Yeah. Jeez. Um, So so I raced people. Um, I don't know if I... Some of it's, I think, that I figure out how to be more comfortable on the the bike. This is the the Honda NSF 100, so the little GP bike that I've been riding. Mm -hmm. Um. Sony and I have we each have one of those we we bought them last year and it's the same bike that um, if you look at the the picture of uh, Sonia's podcast that she's riding the little white GP bike yep. um, and um, I think I got better maybe so some guys that I was I was riding around behind last year I'm actually racing against this year and there's a group of I think five of us medium age people that have either NSF-100s or, or old Honda NSR-50s that have been converted to be NSF-100s or uh, another bike called a Kayo um, that a guy in Washington imports, which is the same size bike. Um, and so there are these little GP bikes and there will be four or five of us in these heats and, and we're all these big dudes and these tiny GP bikes and we're like racing each other, like legit. And when you see it on video, you realize that we're like three feet apart. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, there's probably room. But when you're doing it, oh, yeah. you're like, oh, my God. I, f I would feel like we were rubbing elbows. Like, I could, it just I could touch feels... you. Yeah. And you really could. Like, you could reach out your arm and touch the guy next to you easy. On video, it looks like it's farther apart. In person, you're like, we were like MotoGP guys, and we were awesome and doing cool stuff. And um, it's just, it, it's the best feeling and Brian was telling me this too with racing he said it's the best feeling to actually race someone in a yes. race not yes. just to be on track when a race is happening but to be trying for whatever your position is 
trying to beat someone in in close quarters racing is the reason we go racing ultimately yes 100 percent. and and there's definitely value to being the guy who fills you know being a guy who fills a grid right like we have to get enough people out there to to hold the race and sometimes especially when you're starting or depending on who shows up um your job that day is to be out there to support the race community and be the dude who's going to drive around last or second to last and and then go home and try to get better so that you can get closer to the racing. And I think that's also like a really important role to fill and to be happy with. Like, I don't, yes. that's not true. I don't think you should be necessarily happy being a, a grid filler. Like you should always strive to be up with the actual racing. But no. I don't think you should be sad and go home. No, I, and something I think I think I'm going to try to take from Sonia last week is, you know, the fact that you're a part of something I think has a lot of value and a lot of meaning in it. Um, and I right. know it seems like a lot of people want to devalue that, that, oh, yeah, you're just going to be a back marker. Don't even bother. And it's like, you know what, that's – but if you're just there – to beat people though that doesn't sound like a very good time to me no and in, in racing and I talked to Brian DeFries about this is you know we were talking about how how pointy um, Grid Life Touring Cup has become like those top those top especially six positions in Grid Life Touring Cup especially those but guys. I'd say eight to ten pretty easily on a given weekend yeah. if they all show up. Like if if you're sitting at home and you're you're nineteen years old and you're super into cars and you watch Grid Life Touring Cup, if you understand how truly fast and well built those top ten cars are, you would never dream of racing them. No. And to be um, honest, I think there's a lot of virtue to go to a series when you know that you will float higher in the charts in the result standings because yeah you'll still learn a decent amount hopefully as long as you know you don't get wrecked out or anything but there's a self-esteem aspect that comes along with it that is invaluable um because yeah, if you do I, drive mid-pack gltc you're mid-pack, like you're just average, you're okay, but the metric of the GLCC paddock with like your basic lapping day like I found out at NCM, they're very different scales. Right. And so I think one of the great things about GLCC is even though you've got, you've got six to eight to ten people that are, that are incredibly fast and, and yes. have some phenomenal talent building cars like the 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 years of experience that go into some of those builds is you we could have weeks and weeks of shows just about what's what's gone into the the talent and dedication of particular cars but the field is also fairly spread out to people that are that are also new and are learning to drive and learning to race and the fact that they're all welcome there like if you're not yeah. as fast as those top 10 guys, there's still a place for you to run. Yes. And there's almost certainly someone for you to race against. 
Yes. Um, and to if, be honest, it's almost talk, easier to race people when you are towards the back of the pack. Right. So I, I think, and, and um, TMGP, where we race motorcycles, is very much the same. Um, you know, there's, there's people there. There will be guys who show up who do race semi-professionally. Yeah, semi-professionally is a reasonable word in the U.S. Um, and there's like Mikey Sanchez, who is going to be racing uh, motorcycles in Spain uh, with those kids who want to be racing professionally over the next couple of years. And there, there's some true, like, serious talent that's running around with us. And then there's a bunch of old dudes who just like to play with motorcycles. Yeah. And there's, there's at this next event, uh, we just loaned out our XR70 um, to, to one of the guys we met at the track because his 10-year-old uh, his desperately wants to ride uh, bikes. And they got him a set of leathers, and they're putting a bike together for him. And there's a particular part that you just can't get in the U.S. right now to build the wheels. Like, it doesn't exist anywhere. And so he's been, he's been wearing the leathers around the house, just oh wanting to go ride bikes. <laughs> like and and I heart. said, I, I know, and I said, I said, take the 70. Like, Sonia's old bike, go ride the 70. It is the perfect bike for someone who is his size and is ready to go learn. Um and we gave it to them last weekend, last weekend, or two weekends ago on Sunday. And we brought it out and he did like every session from flag to flag. He rode every session and he had, he had one off where he overshot a corner and rode it into the dirt. And then like, you know, for another session, he was like super slow and tentative and then got his confidence back. And, you know, all of those things that you see someone do when they're learning was all condensed into that one day. And... They loaded the bike on the trailer and took it home with them. And he's like, no, we're going to be at the next race. He, you know, either on this bike or if we get the piece to put his bike together, he's going to be there. Um, but that was it. And that's, yeah. And it's, and it's so exciting to know that there is a place for him to race. You know, there's a, there's a 12 and under race um, that will do that. There's, there's a, there's two or three classes where it's very likely he's going to finish at the back. Um, but he gets to go out there, line up on the grid, figure out what a grid position even means because I think right. when you're 10 and you've never raced before, like what does that mean? Yeah. And how you, how they do the starting thing with the, the clipboard that they drop for the start and you race your six laps and you take the checkers and you, you pit in and, and all of those things that are the, the dynamics of racing before you learn to get fast, you learn what it means to be on a racetrack with other people. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful that places exist for people to do that. Um, and I do think GLTC is, is maybe not like, like if you're a 10 year old, you're ready to race GLTC, but I think GLTC has a, if you're ready to build a safe car and you've got some experience and you're a beginning racer that can come out and race safely, I think you can run around for for lack of a better term, at the back of GLTC and learn to race with that group at the same time as actual proper pro-level drivers are battling it out for the front. I think that's amazing. It's one of the best things ever. Yeah, it it is pretty fun. It's, it, it is cool, like, if I actually, you know, take the step back to look at, you know, what I've been able to be a part of there, it is pretty special. 
it's a pretty amazing field of men and women and you know for us to have as low incident rate as we have and striving to do even better than that i think is is uh pretty unique in motorsports right now yeah i just i and, and i'm always looking for any place where people can learn to be race car drivers um i think there's a lot of places where race car drivers can go and race sure um but there's far fewer places where people can learn to be race car drivers. Yes. And yeah. And that's, I had a, um, I'll, I'll call her a beginner because that's the literal group she was in, but she is no longer a beginner and hasn't been for a while. Um, but she just kept entering in beginner because she liked the instruction. Um, okay. And, you know, grid life, we don't, we don't kick you out like as long as you're playing well with the group yeah totally i mean whenever you become an advanced driver or beyond i think you realize how important instruction is or at least i hope you do and you also find out how it's not inexpensive so if you can stay in beginner a little while longer and get more instructions i mean she and i we're working on trail braking and the different types of trail braking and the speed of the wheel turning in versus the speed that you release the brake pedal. I mean, this, this is not beginner level stuff. Right. And, um, you know, we're, she's got desires to be in GLTC. So her boyfriend who races GLTC and I were talking like, well, let's get two cars out there with her and like, uh, intermediate or advanced session as long as everything's safe and clear like let's go door to door with her and show her what it's like to drive around a racetrack too wide with a car on your butt or trying to trail a car not being able to see really where you're going and actually put them in that place that they will be but without the pressure of performing without the pressure of like trying to keep an amazing pace at the same time without the pressure right. of results because it's just practice and um like that kind of stuff is really cool to me i'd love for yeah. us to be able to have a proper skid pad and parking lot to do uh, emergency lane change drills to do threshold braking drills um, to do wet skid pad drills. I mean, these these are things you encounter on the racetrack at one time or another, but to practice those skills specifically um, is a huge benefit. I really wish uh, really wish Gingerman would come up with the space to do that in. Yeah, we we think the same thing with motorcycles. Um, we we the the parking lot at Speed Sports, the track that I'm at, isn't appropriate for motorcycle drills. It's just too dirty, like to the sure. point of being dangerous on a motorcycle dirty. But if if we had a place where we could set up cones and do like parallel figure eight drills, yeah, um, you know that's the kind of thing that 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 encompasses like eighty percent of the skill set necessary to ride close to somebody around a track. Um, we still do. We have so many, so much practice. We do so much more practice that cars do that we do go out and we, we practice riding close to somebody. Um, we practice going into corners side by side. Um, and 
you know, overlapping and trying to pass in a corner and pass back in a corner. And we do that with almost everybody um, when they're comfortable. We'll we'll say like, are you ready to do this? And we'll specifically go out and we do um, do we used to (laughs) we used to call it. there was a race when I was a kid at the local circle track called called Australian Pursuit, and they would grid in reverse, and it was like a a twenty lap race, gridded in reverse. But if if you got passed by anyone, you were out. <laughs> that sounds amazing, fun. So you couldn't get passed. So the the fastest guy was in back, and his goal was to pass everybody who was out there but you know your your goal is to pass the person in front of you and then they're gone they go away um and it was they were fascinating races to watch and i was like eight nine years old watching them and so we do a version of that where where two to four of us will line up and when you get to the back straight if you're in the lead you pull off and you hit the brakes and you slow down and you join the back again and then you get back into that trail of like close you know, close racing with that group of, of four that you're with. Yeah. And so everybody gets a chance at the front, everybody's in the middle and everybody's at the back and you, you that's get to fun. study people and, and that's a really good thing before people race, um, to get that sort of experience, um, moving through a pack, even if it's not you passing to move through a pack, you get to, to experience all the different positions that you would be in a normal pack racing. So yeah, that um, sounds cool. Um, yeah, yeah, more, I, I wish in cars, I think that was one of the things I missed in cars. Um, I had a couple experiences where, um, I was really able to play with people, like really do fun, close driving in a DE environment, like fun, close, safe driving in a DE environment. Mm -hmm. But, um, that was few and far between, um, because usually everybody's working on their own thing. So in DE, you tend to spread out, right? Like I'm doing the fastest laps I can. And so the field spreads out and largely you end up driving after three or four laps, you end up driving by yourself for the rest of the session until the checkers come out. Yep. Um, and it, it, it has been a couple times where I've purposely been with people where we've diced and then the person in front would slow down and, and let the person back in front of them and you dice again and, and do those sorts of things. But you have to be with a group that a you have to be with people that a you trust like like trust to the level of racers and b be with a a sanctioning group that doesn't slap you on the wrist for playing those sorts of things that's um i know as an instructor group that i've been able to work with at grid life um we it really warms our hearts like halfway through day two towards the end of day two if two of the cars kind of figure out they've got very similar pace and they go out and they're kind of playing cat and mouse a little bit and as long as they're being safe and as long as like everything's heads up about it like we'll we'll let them kind of go out there and have some fun one of the most heartwarming times i ever had last year was um the woman i was mentioning earlier who i instructed and another guy who um, came out for one of the weekends at Gingerman, uh, I believe at Gingerman, they both had red crappy Miatas, uh, which, you know, was kind of the theme of the weekend for me. And yeah, I say you're kind of into that, aren't you? Yeah, it's kind of my jam. And the beginning of day two, I had them line up in grid behind one another. And I said, all right, every two laps, 
give a point by and try to keep up try to learn from the other person um, because I mean you can learn from me but you know one of you is doing something better than the other one at almost at different all points of the track like you can always learn something right so do two laps follow look and learn give a point by switch positions and do it again <laughs> and it was just yeah. so much fun seeing these two like <laughs> crappy miatas out there just kind of going for it it was really cool and that's genuinely outside of racing that is the most fun you can have in a car yeah um and, and i hope I hope more people who drive just do DE and in grid life and other places listen to this and try to set those, you know, create those situations for themselves with their buddies who are about the same speed um, with organizations with to whom it's acceptable um, because you don't want to freak anybody out. Um, Certainly I've been around um, instructor groups that would, that would lose their minds if people were intentionally driving close to each other. Um, so it, it needs to be in the right place, but, um, yeah, that's, I, I think, I don't want to say I would still be doing cars because me not, not doing as many car things right now has a billion different reasons, but, um, I would, I think I, I'm more interested in lapping on, I don't get tired lapping on a motorcycle in the same way I would get tired of lapping in a car. Like after two days of, of lapping at a particular track. I'm usually pretty much over it because I've spent those two days largely driving by myself. Sure. Um, and that's, you know, that's on me, really. But, um, like, how many laps do I want to drive by myself? And usually it's, you know, two days worth. And yeah. I'm like, cool, I, wanted, I would like to go drive a different track. I'd like to go do something else. And in motorcycles, I'm almost always riding with other people. Um, And so it's a a different experience. I think if I could experience that with cars where I spent most of the time driving with other people, it may be a little bit, it may hold my interest longer. I don't know what I'm trying to say with that. Um, But it was something I struggled with in in cars. I signed up for uh, Gingerman's opening weekend this weekend Saturday because we're going to go do some suspension testing and um, like I've got a, a one friend in particular who runs an endurance Miata and wants to play catch and cat and mouse because our lap times are similar and you know kind of want to see he's got all the arrow and I've got baby arrow but um, yeah so I, I don't know we'll see um, yeah. you know, it's not out there just to turn laps. I'm out there to try to have some fun. Yeah, I mean, th- there's certainly a role for testing, but uh, you gotta love, like, it, you don't want it to be a job, right? Like, going to a track and just having it be a, a thing that you're like working to do something. Uh, I hate to say, like, then you're Tom O'Gorman, um, but um. You know, even he said, you know, I was talking about the other pro drivers and so many of them yeah. like being at the track as a job and, and they love it, but, but they, they don't go to the track there. if they're not getting right. Right. They wouldn't and that's be the there thing if they is weren't you wanna, being paid. Right. You want to be excited to go, like no matter what car you get to drive and no matter what the circumstances are and no matter what the weather is. And you'd be like, 
I get to go to the track and I'm super psyched and it's my favorite thing in the world. And that, that excitement that you had your first three or four or five track weekends. Um, yeah. I don't know if you still get to the like, I can't hardly sleep the night before. Um, I, I've sl- staying awake has never been has never been hard or sorry falling asleep has never been difficult for me <laughs> like I okay I like to sleep very much but um <laughs> but speaking of Tom like they were at Putnam over the weekend and uh he got to drive pretty much every pointy end almost every pointy end car that was there GLTC wise and he's going to give an impression of all of them and I'm Ooh. very excited to uh I want to hear. hear I do want to hear about that. Yeah, so it'll be good. Well, I think we made a podcast. I think we did make a podcast, and we sort of talked about. We were kind of linear tonight, almost. Yeah, it's just this thing I was, and that thing. I was talking to an upcoming, uh, upcoming guest who we're going to have in a couple of weeks, and um, sort of preparing him for the show. And he was like, "Well, I have a like I have this. I want to talk about this and this and this." And I'm like, "That's cool. Yeah. Linearity is not really a thing that we do." Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I'll give you a crisp yeah, high think- five for everything you think you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, we made a podcast and I talked about racing beginning in this year and uh, your string alignment and Brian's broken car and... Uh, your motorcycle things. Motorcycle things, which I know like GLTC people are like, ah, oh, more motorcycle stuff. But it's all... I should get go-kart people on here because the, the kart people are... this Like kart racing is, is awesome and stupid in the same way that racing cars is awesome yeah. and stupid and racing motorcycles is awesome and stupid and yeah. Tiffany like, talked we're all about the that. same yeah yeah we're, we're all the same people we just choose a different appliance yeah to do our <laughs> to do our right. thing with and I'm sure if I was cool enough to know airplane people they would do the like Jeez. the same thing <laughs> well we are track walking you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Track Walking Podcast. Please rate us and review us on whatever podcast platform you uh, happen to find us and listen to us on. It does help. Uh, you know, leave us a one star, leave us a five star. We'd prefer the five, but you know, you do you. I'm not your dad. You can do what you want. And uh, I might be your dad, depending. Yeah, Seth probably is your dad. <laughs> And uh, next week we've got, uh, speaking of GLTC, we're going to have on a uh, GLTC, one of the big boys, one of the big dogs. I'm excited. Get to know him. That's as much as you're getting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, for this week, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. We are track walking. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.